so we begin, my brothers and sisters, Ba'unillah, with the aid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the third part of the death and grave series. Those series of lectures that focus on the three questions that are going to be asked to every single person after he dies in his grave. And in the first part, we looked at that great hadith, that tremendous hadith, wherein the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he explained in detail that which happens after death and the journey of the soul, what will happen to the soul after death, how the soul will be taken up to the heavens, how there will be an angel who will come, the angel of death, and how the journey will take place and how the soul will return back to its body and then the two angels will come and ask those three questions. That hadith narrated by the companion, does anyone remember the companion who narrated that hadith, that famous hadith, it's a famous hadith, that hadith that we discussed in the first part. Al-Bara ibn Azib, Al-Bara ibn Azib, that hadith, that well-known hadith, that famous hadith that explains in detail the journey of the soul after death. In the second part we looked at and we saw for ourselves how when we die, how we will be placed on that bed and how our bodies will be washed how they'll be shrouded. You will take nothing with you to your grave except for these three simple pieces of, of cloth. That which is apparent, meaning that's the only thing you're going to take with you in the grave, that which is physical and tangible. But the only other thing you will take with you to your grave, that which is not tangible, that which we can't see, is your actions. How many things go along with the dead person to the grave? Three. How many return? What, what are those three things? Wealth, family, and your actions. Two of them go back. 
your wealth will go back, your family will go back, and your actions will remain. So we looked at how the Muslim, when he dies, how he is washed, how he is shrouded, how we pray over him, and how he will be buried under the ground. And we begin today, my brothers and sisters, with the with studying these three questions. These three questions which are more important than what we learned last week. All of those things that we discussed and we saw for ourselves last week, the washing of the body, the shrouding, the prayer over the dead person, the burial, we said the ruling for all of those was what? Fardu, kifaya, which means is a communal obligation, meaning it's obligatory upon a party or a few of the Muslims, not all of them. So it's not obligatory for all of us to know what we studied and what we saw last week. It's not obligatory upon all of us to do that. But that which is obligatory is for every single one of us to study these three questions. More important than what we saw last week. More important. And so we begin with studying and preparing for this moment and this questioning and this test in the grave, which I'm sure every single one of us would like to pass with ease. From now until the last part of this series, we're going to focus on that great book. That book that was authored specifically around these three questions. The title of the book, as many of you know, is Al-Usul Al-Thalatha. Al-Usul Al-Thalatha. The three fundamental principles which refer to the three fundamental questions. Those three questions that everything goes back to in the grave. That which you're going to be asked about in the grave. A book written specifically on the topic of these three questions. That book which was authored by that great Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, from the many books that he authored in Aqidah. And the Imam, he, before he discusses these, these three questions, he brings two introductions. Two very important introductions that are obligatory for every Muslim to know and to learn. Before he begins these three questions, he brings two introductions. In the first introduction, after he mentions the basmala, after saying Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, he says, "I'lam rahimakallah, annahu yajibu alayna ta'lumu arba'i masail." He says, "No, may Allah have mercy upon you, you, the the listener or the reader. In fact, he's including himself in it. Annahu yajibu alayna." obligatory upon us, all of us, the reader. He's making dua for you at the beginning. I'lam rahimakallah. No, may Allah have mercy upon you. So it's a dua for you. But he's saying that it's obligatory upon every single one of us. Male, female, young, old, rich, poor. It doesn't matter what your position is in this dunya. Whatever status you have, every single person must know this. The one who is a beginner, 
in his studies. Likewise, the scholar, like the Imam is saying here, it's obligatory upon every single one of us to learn four matters, Arba' Masail, four matters. Four matters before we begin to talk about the three questions. In fact, the three questions, the three questions that the Imam he mentions, and that which the book, the main objective of the book, and the main topic of the book is taken from the first matter of these four matters. Three questions and that which we're going to study after these introductions is taken from the first matter from these four matters that he says. And so he says, It's obligatory upon us, all of us, to learn four matters. He says that the first is ilm, al-ilm, knowledge. Al-ula, al-ilm, knowledge. Wa huwa ma'rifatullahi, wa ma'rifatu nabiyyih, wa ma'rifatu deen al-islami bil-adilla. It's obligatory upon every single one of us to have knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of Allah. Of the Messenger, Muhammad Wasallam, And of Islam, Bil Adilla, with proofs. This book is surrounding, the whole of the book is surrounding this first matter. Everything that's going to come after the introduction is, is around this first matter. Because this first matter is saying that knowledge that the knowledge that is obligatory upon us to learn is knowledge of Allah, knowledge of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and knowledge of the religion of Islam with the proofs. Are these not the three questions that we're going to be asked in the grave? Yes, they are. And so this is what the Imam is going to talk about after these introductions. Athaniya, the second matter is is acting upon that knowledge. Acting upon that knowledge. And the third matter is to then call to that knowledge and to that action. And then the fourth, is to have patience. Patience with the harms that a person goes through and faces whilst doing these things, whilst acquiring knowledge, whilst learning, whilst acting upon that knowledge, and whilst giving da'wah. We saw last week, this masjid was full, and the people wanted to see how to wash a body. It had not really been done before. People wanted to see. People wanted to see how to wash a body, how to shroud the body. But look today, half, half the number. Half the number. That patience in seeking knowledge. Patience in acting. And patience in giving da'wah. We're going to discuss each one in, in a bit more detail, inshallah. But what's the proof for this? What's the proof of what the Imam is saying? Is it something that has a proof in our religion for these four matters? Or is it something that the Imam himself, he, he thought of? And said to himself, these four matters... We need to learn these four matters, but without any proof. Meaning he came to this without any proof? No, rather a clear proof which every single one of us, inshallah, the surah, complete surah which every single one of us, bi have memorized. And that is that surah, 
Surah Al-Asr, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, wal-Asr, inna al-insana lafi khusr, illa al-lazina amanu wa'amilu s-salihati, wa tawasaw bil-haqi wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wal-Asr, here Allah swears, by time, by time, inna al-insana lafi khusr, Indeed, man, mankind, all of them are in loss, will be in loss. Yom al-Qiyamah. Except for those who believed. Except for those who believed. And worked righteous deeds. And those who used to enjoin one another with the truth, they used to call one another with, to the truth, and they used to give da'wah to one another with the truth. And they used to call one another to patience. Concerning this, Sheikh Salah al-Fawzan, he mentioned that if you look at the books of the Imam, Muhammad ibn Abd al-Wahhab, specifically Kitab al-Tawheed, and this book, Al-Usul al-Thalatha, have you ever seen a rad on Kitab al-Tawheed? Meaning, have you ever seen a refutation on Kitab al-Tawheed? Meaning, have you ever seen anyone who has written a book refuting that which is in Kitab al-Tawheed? Have you ever seen anyone, have you ever heard of a book that talks about the mistakes in Kitab al-Tawheed? When we say refutation, the mistakes in Kitab al-Tawheed, that this is a mistake. Or, Thalat al-Usul. That what the Imam said here is a mistake. When he says, for example, that Allah is not pleased that we commit shirk with Allah. And he brings his proof. But have you ever seen, have you ever heard of any book out there in refutation of Kitab al-Tawheed or Thalaz al-Usul saying that the Imam has said he is wrong? Never. Never do you find a refutation of Kitab al-Tawheed from the Sufis or any other groups. Have they ever refuted uh, Kitab al-Tawheed or Thalat al-Usul of these books? Because the Imam, the nature of the Imam in, in these books and his methodology and his way in authoring these books is that he always brings a proof from the Quran and the Sunnah. So these four matters that he mentioned, it's obligatory upon us to learn four matters. What's his proof? Wal Asr, the whole surah. And you'll find as we go along, what dalil, qawluhu ta'ala, and the proof is the saying of Allah, the Most High. And He brings His proof. Either from the Quran or the Sunnah. Every step. All backed up by the Quran and the Sunnah. So we said that it's obligatory to learn four matters. The first is Al-Ilm. Knowledge. Okay. Now, it's easy with the rest of the three to extract the proof from the Surah. Why the Imam says that these things are obligatory. So he said the first is knowledge. The second is Al-Amal. Al-Amal Ubihi. To act upon it. The proof for that is easy. In the Surah. Wa'amilu salihat They work righteous deeds. What's the third? Da'wah. Calling. The proof for that in the Surah. Wa'atawasaw bil-haq. And they call one another to the truth. And the fourth, 
patience. The proof for that in the surah, وَتَوَاصَوْبِسَبْرَ And they call one another to patience. But the first matter, al-ilm, where's the proof for that? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Except for those who believe. Meaning all mankind are in loss except for those who believe. But how do you extract knowledge from belief? إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا How has he extracted the fact that knowledge, it's obligatory for us to learn, to have knowledge from this part of the saying of Allah, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Hmm? That comes later on, but that's a proof for the fact that knowledge comes before speech and action. But from this surah, from this surah itself, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Except for those who believe. So how do we extract from that that it's obligatory for us to learn? Anyone? That's correct. You can't, you can't have the correct iman. You're not able to have the correct iman except through, through knowledge and except through learning. That's correct. That iman comes about from ilm. Iman, that faith and that iman that you have, that belief that you have, it comes from ilm, from knowledge. And so iman, you're not able to have iman except through knowledge. Since a person cannot have true and correct iman except through knowledge. As Sheikh Zaid, Sheikh Zaid al-Madkhali, rahimahullah, he mentioned when explaining this, he said, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Concerning this saying of Allah, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Except those who believe, A, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ عَلِمُوا وَصَدَّقُوا Meaning, except those who know. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ عَلِمُوا Those who know, وَصَدَّقُوا And then they believed. And then they believe. So you, this, this iman is built upon knowledge. And that knowledge is acquired by learning. What's the ruling on this learning? Wajib. Because he mentioned at the beginning. Annahu yajibu alayna ta'allamu arba'i masail. It's obligatory, yajib, from wajib, as, as you mentioned. Wajib. Yani fard. But is it fard kifaya? We said fard kifaya is communal, meaning if some do it, then the others don't have to do it. But this is something that is obligatory upon every single Muslim, male and female, young and old. It doesn't matter what status a person has reached, it's obligatory upon every single Muslim to learn this. And there has come in the hadith, Talabul ilm, faridah, ala kulli Muslim. Hadith narrated by Ibn Majah and Al-Bayhati and others. Shaykh Al-Bani, rahimahullah, he declared sahih. Talabul ilm, seeking knowledge, faridah, is obligatory, ala kulli muslim, upon every muslim, upon every muslim, male and female. And so it's obligatory upon us to learn and acquire this knowledge. But the author, he said, okay, he said, ilm, the first matter, wa huwa, ma'rifatullahi, wa ma'rifatu nabiyyi, wa ma'rifatu, but what's the proof for this? Because the surah doesn't mention this. Well, Asr doesn't mention this. He said that the first matter is knowledge. The first matter that is obligatory upon you is, is to have knowledge. And we took that from 
Meaning, except for those who know and then believed. They, 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 they have knowledge in that which has been revealed to them in the Quran. They have knowledge of it. They read the Quran, they read the Sunnah, and they believe in it. So that's their Iman, it comes from knowledge. But he mentions here the first matter is knowledge, and it is knowledge of Allah, knowledge of the Prophet, and knowledge of the religion of Islam with the, with the proofs. What's the proof for this? That he's described knowledge to be these three things. What's the proof for this? Hmm? No? Ahsan, It's the question in the grave, the hadith of Al-Bara' ibn Azib. That hadith that we discussed in the first part of this series, in the first lecture. That is the proof that this knowledge is knowledge of Allah, knowledge of the Prophet and knowledge of Islam. Why? Because that's what you're going to be asked about. It shows to us the, the greatness of this knowledge, of these three questions. Because you're not going to be asked about anything else except for these three questions. Which shows to us that that's the most important thing that you can learn. So when he says that it's obligatory upon us to learn and to acquire knowledge, then there's no doubt that it is the knowledge of Allah, the knowledge of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and the knowledge of this religion. Why? Because Munkar and Nakir are going to ask you about these three things. Those two angels, they're going to ask you about these three things. Man Rabbuk, who is your Lord? Man Rabbuk, who is your Lord? Man Nabiyuk, who is your Prophet? Madinuk, and what is your religion? These three things shows to us there's nothing more important than these three matters. That which comes after Iman is action. And knowledge without action is like a tree without fruit. A tree that doesn't bear fruit. What good is there in the tree that doesn't bear fruit? And knowledge is to be acted upon. And as the Messenger of Allah he mentioned, Al-Quran hujjatun lak aw alayk. The Quran is either a proof for you or against you. The Quran is either proof for you or against you. Meaning, that when you learn, when you learn, when you come to learn about something from the religion, that if you don't act upon it, whether you learnt it from the Quran, or from the Sunnah, whether you heard it in a lecture, or in a khutbah, or from someone else, that the proof has come to you, and it is obligatory upon you to act. In the grave, you're going to be asked about your aqidah. You're going to be asked about your aqidah, about your belief. Who is your Lord? Who is your Prophet? What is your religion? This is what you're going to be asked about in the grave. But when you stand before Allah, then you're going to be asked about actions. Don't forget, there's not just the questioning in the grave. There's also the questioning before Allah. Standing before Allah. As it's come in the hadith, narrated by Mu'ad ibn Jabal, لا تزول قدماء ابن آدم يوم القيامة من عند ربه حتى يصل عن خمس. That the two feet 
of the son of Adam will not move will not move yawm al-qiyamah when standing before Allah will not move a person will not move away from Allah that day when he stands before Allah up until he is asked about five things and Umar he will be asked about his lifespan his life how did you spend your life what did you what did you do with your life and he'll be asked about his youthhood his young age what did you do when you were young when you had energy when you had the strength what did you do with that and he'll be asked about his wealth. He'll be asked about his wealth. From where did you acquire it? This wealth. You want to be asked about that. This money that you have. This wealth that you have. Where have you, have you acquired it from? And how did you spend it? It's a serious thing, your money, wealth is a serious thing. You're going to be asked, where did you get it from? And how did you spend it? In what, in which way did you spend your money? What did you spend it on? And what did he do? What did he do concerning that knowledge that he knew? This is what a person is going to be asked about. In the grave, you're going to be asked about your belief. As we mentioned last week, as we mentioned last week, in the the first of abodes in the hereafter is the qabr, the grave. That's the first place we will go to after you die. The akhirah starts when you die. You go to the grave. This is the, the hadith from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi And so if a person is successful in the grave, meaning he answers correctly, he, he answers the, the angels. These questions about his aqidah, who is your Lord? Who is your Prophet? What is your religion? If you answer correctly, if you answer correctly, then that which comes after will be easy. However, if a person, he doesn't answer correctly and he's not successful in the grave, then that which will come after will be greater than the punishment in the grave. It may seem easy to us learning these three questions that we learn it and then in the grave I'll answer. But we don't know how you're going to be, what state you're going to die in. Look how even in this life, a person may have an accident or you wake up suddenly and you may talk gibberish. You talk and your mind's not there. Your mind's not there even in this dunya. If you have if you to have an accident, get knocked down or something like that. Stand up. Your mind's not there. Someone asks you, what's your name? Maybe you won't, you won't be able to answer. You have an accident. Someone drags you out of the car. You can't you can't speak. If that's how it is in this dunya, then what about on that day? Don't feel secure that I will answer. Rather, what we do is we learn. We learn and we are to act, as the Imam is saying. We are to act upon that, upon that knowledge. Indeed, we're going to be asked about our actions also. Likewise, in the hadith, إِنَّ أَوَّلَ مَا يُحَاسِبُ بِهِ الْعَبْدِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ مِنْ عَمَلِهِ 
Indeed, from the first things that a slave will be brought to account concerning is from his actions, salatu is his prayer. Is his prayer. And so if you pass the questioning in the grave, there's still the standing before Allah. And the first thing that you're going to be asked is concerning your prayer, salatu. And so if his prayer is correct, then he is successful. But if his prayer is not sound and correct, then he will not be successful and he'll be in loss. He'll be in loss. The prayer. And that prayer, no doubt, is from the actions. So when we have iman, we have iman. In Allah, in the six pillars of Iman, we have Iman in everything that the Messenger of Allah came with. That which is in the Quran, that which is in the Sunnah. And that we are to act upon that. And we all know the great importance of the Salah, which is the second pillar after the first pillar. The second pillar in Islam. In fact, many, many of the scholars of this Ummah, they mention that the one who abandons the prayer, the one who abandons the prayer, Many of them, of the scholars of this ummah, they hold him to be a disbeliever. Many, many, many proofs. It's not the time to discuss those proofs, but many of them. Such as the clear statement of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam wherein he mentioned in that hadith in the Sahih of Imam Muslim, بَيْنَ الرَّجُلُ وَبَيْنَ الشِّرْكِ وَالْكُفْرِ تَرْكُ الصَّلَاةِ between a man, between the disbelief, al-kufr, with alif al-lam, mu'arraf, which in, in Arabic basically means the disbelief, meaning the greater disbelief, as the scholars they explain. Al-kufr al-akbar, that disbelief that, that expels a person outside the fall of Islam. Between a man and disbelief and shirk is abandoning the prayer. Al-ahdu kafar. The difference between us and them, meaning the Muslims and the non-Muslims is the prayer. kafar. So whoever abandons the prayer, then he has disbelieved. Ayat in the Quran, many. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions concerning the people of the hellfire. The people of Jannah will ask them, Ma salakakum fi saqar. What caused you to enter saqar? Yani the hellfire. Another name for the hellfire. The first thing they will say, Lam nakumina musalleen. That we were not from those who used to offer the prayer. That's the first thing they will say. Likewise, in Surah Maryam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, وَخَلَفَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ أَضَاعُ الصَّلَاءِ وَاتَّبَعُ الشَّحَوَاتِ فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّا And they came after them, a group who, uh, they, 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 uh, they abandoned the prayer and they left the prayer. أَضَاعُ الصَّلَاءِ They abandoned the prayer and they left the prayer. فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيَّا And so they will meet a valley in the hellfire called Ghayya. And so the prayer, Ayyul Ikhwah, is, is very important that a Muslim, he keeps on top of his prayers, his five daily prayers. This shows to us, Ayyul Ikhwah, that it's not enough just to have knowledge. For if it was enough for us just to have knowledge of these three matters, that a person says, yes, I know these three things, I'm going to answer them in the grave, that if this was sufficient, then why would Allah ask him when he stands before him 
concerning his knowledge. That he'll be asked concerning his, his knowledge. What did he do with that knowledge? How did he act with that knowledge? Did he act upon that knowledge? Meaning if it was sufficient enough just to know, then why would Allah SWT ask him about acting upon that knowledge? And so when a person, he learns his religion and acquires knowledge and acts upon that, then he has completed himself. As Ibn Qayyim, he mentions that a person, so these four matters, the first is knowledge. The second is acting upon that knowledge. If a person does, does these two things, if he learns his religion, acquires that knowledge, and then acts upon that knowledge, then he has completed himself. And he has carried out that thing, he has carried out that thing that is expected from him. To learn his religion and to act upon it. He's completed himself. Not just that he learns and doesn't act. That person hasn't completed himself. And rather, that knowledge will be proof against him. But a person who, has, who, who learns and acts upon it, these two things together. And the opposite is the one who acts without knowledge. The one who acts without knowledge. And the well-known exa- example that the ulama they give is the Jews and the Christians. The Jews, they knew but didn't act. They had the knowledge but they didn't act. The Christians, they act but without knowledge. And that's the explanation we have in Surah Al-Fatiha. The maghduba alayhim and the dhalin. That the Jews are maghduba alayhim. Allah's anger is upon them because they had the knowledge but they didn't act. And the Christians, Baalin, they are misguided because they act without knowledge. Similarly, from this Ummah, as the scholars they mention, that whoever has the knowledge but doesn't act, then he resembles the Jews. He resembles the Jews. And the action of the Jews. And whoever acts, performs actions that are not based upon knowledge, not based upon proofs, then he resembles the Christians and he resembles the actions of the Christians, those who act without knowledge, like the people of innovations, those who perform actions, actions that they claim bring them closer to Allah, but have no basis, no proofs from the Quran and the Sunnah. So a person who learns, acquires knowledge, he acts upon that, then he has completed himself. The next two matters, if he gives da'wah to that knowledge and to that action that he performs and has patience upon that, then he is complete in every sense. Meaning, the first two, he acquires knowledge and he acts upon that, then he is complete concerning himself. But then if he gives da'wah to that and has patience upon that, he he gives da'wah to other people, calls them to this iman cause him to this action then he's completed, he completed others so the first two if he completes them then he's completed himself and the second two matters if he completes them then he's complete as it relates to others and him saving others and him desiring for others to be saved from that which he himself is trying to save himself from that punishment in the grave and that Hellfire, that a person 
and every single one of us, we learn this religion. We're here today learning. We're here to learn about those three questions. So that inshallah ta'ala, that you're able to answer in the grave. And so you're successful and then be put into paradise. That a person now, he desires to save others also, not just himself. And he wants others to be saved from that same punishment that he fears. So a person gives da'wah. As Shaykh Salah al-Fawzan, he mentioned, he mentioned in his explanation of this book, that he mentioned that this knowledge is not a waqf. That this knowledge that you have, and this knowledge that you've been guided to, is not an endowment. Meaning it's not a donation that has been given to you, for you to just hold, keep to yourself. But rather it's obligatory. Obligatory upon every single one of us to give da'wah. To give da'wah to that knowledge. To give da'wah to this iman. That we call the people to Islam. And that we call the people to see the truth of this religion. So that they may be saved. Our families. Our families. Likewise, that we call them. Our close ones. Call them to this knowledge. Call them to studying these three matters. These three questions in the grave. Many places in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he, he mentions the serious nature of those who, who conceal knowledge, who hide it, don't spread it. Allah mentions in Surah Al-Baqarah. Those who withhold and conceal that which we have revealed in the book, in the Quran. From bayinat, from clear signs and, and huda and guidance. After we have explained it to the people in the Quran, in the Kitab. As Allah mentions in Surah Baqarah. Allah, they are the ones who Allah curses. And... The people who curse, they curse them. It's not, it's not allowed for us to withhold that knowledge. But the fact that you are here today, and the fact that you know of the serious nature of what's ahead in your grave, then every single one of us needs to go back home and teach this to our family, teach this to our parents and our brothers and our sisters. It's well known that this role of giving da'wah is the role of the Anbiya and the Rusul. That's the role and the, that was the job of the messengers, prophets and the messengers. The prophets and the messengers, all of them, they were mocked. They were mocked and they were rejected by many people. They were rejected and they were mocked. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, وَمَا يَأْتِي وَمَا يَأْتِيهِ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَحْزِئُونَ And not a messenger came except that they were mocked. So the one who gives da'wah, the one who calls people to Islam, he's going to face something from that. He's going to face difficulties. He's going to face hardships and harm. However, you should remember that those who are most trialed, and those who are most tested are the prophets. 
as when the Messenger of Allah وسلم, when he was asked, Ya Rasulullah, nas ashaddu balan? O Messenger of Allah, who from amongst the people are the severest in being put to trial? He answered by saying, Al Anbiya, the Prophets. Thumma al amthal, And then those who are most like them. And then those who are most like them. So the role of the Anbiya was to give da'wah. So the one who carries on with this da'wah, who calls people to Islam, he's going to face something from that harm. And that is why it is required, and that is why the Imam he mentions, and that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions in Surah Al-Asr, that we are to have patience, that we are to have patience upon giving da'wah. Giving da'wah to what? To that knowledge and to that action. How many are patient? How many are patient just on learning? Learning the religion, as we mentioned before. Learning the religion, leaving their homes. Because the, the, the knowledge, the asal and the origin of knowledge is that it is learnt in the masajid, in the mosques. That's how it was in the, in the early times. Before all these universities and these colleges, that knowledge is learned. Knowledge of this religion is learned in the mosques. But how hard is it for many to leave their homes, their warm homes, cold nights like this, to come and learn an hour, an hour a week, two hours a week. Think about how many hours you have in the week. Just given one hour, two hours to learning your religion. It requires patience. Whoever completes these four characteristics, then he is complete within himself and complete as it relates to others. He learns for himself. He acts upon it. So inshallah he'll, he'll be saved. Because all of mankind are in loss except the one, the one who has these four characteristics. So he saves himself by learning, by acting. And then he calls to that. So he wants to save others. And we are all aware of the great reward of the one who calls to Islam. That he has the same reward of the one who acts upon whatever he calls him to from Iman and from good actions that are from Islam. A tremendous surah, ayyul ikhwa. A tremendous surah that when you look at, it becomes clear why that Imam, Imam Shafi'i, the saying of Imam Shafi'i, and the Imam, he continues after mentioning these four matters and mentioning the proof for these four matters. He mentions that Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah, he said, لَوْ مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ حُجَّةً عَلَىٰ خَلْقِهِ إِلَّا هَذِهِ السُورَةِ لَكَ فَتْهُمْ But if Allah had not revealed, if Allah had not sent down to His creation no other proof, no other surah except for this surah, لَكَ فَتْهُمْ It would have sufficed them. It would have sufficed them. Due to that which is in this surah, from general, from general meaning concerning that which is needed from a person in order for him to be saved. In order for him to be saved, whilst everyone else is in loss. Not that this surah alone is sufficient for us to learn, for us to know everything that is required from us in Islam. All the rulings and all the other actions of worship 
and the prohibitions, and those things that are allowed. But rather what's intended by the imam as the, as, as the scholars they mention is that this surah highlights for us that which is needed for a person to be saved in these four characteristics. That a person, he acquires knowledge, that he acts upon it, and then he gives da'wah to it, and he has patience upon all of that. And so this surah shows to us the importance of these four matters. The first of which is knowledge, which precedes everything else. This knowledge comes before everything else, and this is why the Imam, directly after now, he brings the statement of Imam al Bukhari. So he mentions, al Bukhari, rahimhullah. And so Imam al Bukhari, he mentions, or he said, May Allah have mercy upon him, Bab al Ilm qabla al Qawli wal Amal. The chapter, knowledge, precedes speech and action. Meaning the chapter, that he titled with this heading, Knowledge Precedes Speech and Action. In Kitab al-Ilm, in his book, in Sahih al-Bukhari, in the book of al-Ilm, he brings the chapter, Bab al-Ilm Qabl al-Qawl wal-Amal. He titles the whole chapter with this title. Knowledge comes before speech and action. What dalil qawlu ta'ala, as we mentioned, the Imam always brings a proof. And Imam Bukhari, he brings this as his proof. The proof is the saying of Allah in Surah Muhammad, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكِ Know, have knowledge first. Know that none has the right to be worshipped in truth except for Allah. وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكِ And seek forgiveness for your sins. Seek forgiveness for your sins. After you have had that knowledge. And after you acquire that knowledge, فَعْلَمْ So the first thing that Allah said is know. Allah commanded us to know. And so knowledge here comes before the action of seeking forgiveness. Knowledge precedes speech and action. And then the Imam, he mentions three more matters. He mentions three more matters that are connected to the first introduction. So he mentions three more matters that are connected to the first four matters and serve as an introduction to that which comes after. So we had the first introduction, the first four matters that are obligatory upon us all to learn. Knowledge, action, da'wah to that and having patience upon that. Then he brings three more matters that are connected to these, to these first four matters and connected to that which comes after, meaning the three questions. And so he mentions again after making dua, I'lam rahimakallah. No, may Allah have mercy upon you. Annahu yajibu ala kulli muslimin wa muslimatin ta'allimu thalatha hadil masail. Know that it is obligatory upon every Muslim, male and female, that he learns three matters. Wala amalu bihinna and to act upon them. Al-Ula, the first. أَنَّ اللَّهَ خَلَقَنَا وَرَزَقَنَا وَلَمْ يَتْرُكْنَا حَمَلًا بَلْ أَرْسَلَ إِلَيْنَا رَسُولًا فَمَنْ عَطَاهُ دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَنْ عَصَاهُ دَخَلَ النَّارِ but The first matter is that what you should know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us and provided for us 
He provides for us. And He did not leave us without purpose. He didn't leave us without reason for our creation. But rather He sent a messenger. He sent a messenger. So whoever obeys the messenger, he will enter Jannah. And whoever disobeys him will enter the fire. The proof for this, as we mentioned, the Imam always brings a proof. And the proof for this is the saying of Allah the Most High, Inna arsalna ilaykum rasulan shahidan alaykum kama arsalna ila fir'awna rasula fa'asa fir'awna rasula fa'akhadnahu akhdan wabila. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions that we sent a messenger. We sent a messenger to you as a witness over you. Just as we sent to Fir'aun, to that Pharaoh, just as we sent to him a messenger. So, but Fir'aun, he disobeyed and denied and rejected the messenger. And so we seized him with that severe punishment. And so this first matter, with this first matter, we should know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not leave us without purpose and reason after creating us and after bringing about this creation. But rather, He sent messengers to inform us of our purpose and why He created us. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions, That we sent a messenger to every nation. Allah sent a messenger to every nation, saying to them, Worship Allah. This is your purpose. This is your purpose in life. And stay away from the false gods. Stay away from worshiping others besides Allah. Likewise, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Dhariyat, the Imam also brings later on, Very clear in this saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, that our purpose is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لَيَعْبُدُونَ I did not create the jinn. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions that he, he didn't create the jinn. No mankind except that they worship Him alone. This is the purpose of our creation. That a person needs to know that, it is, that his life on this earth has a purpose. And that a messenger has been sent. That a messenger has been sent to tell us all of this. To tell us that we have a purpose. And to tell us and to show us how to fulfill this purpose. How to worship Allah. How to pray. How to fast. How to perform the Hajj. Not just this is your purpose and that's it. But the Messenger وسلم, likewise showed us in detail how to perform these acts of worship. And so the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he explained to us clearly in the Quran and the Sunnah explaining this worship, the meaning of worship and how to carry out this worship. And this verse shows to us likewise that disobeying the messenger leads to the punishment of Allah and the hellfire. The messenger of Allah وسلم, he said, Kullu ummati jannah illa man aba. All of my ummah, all of my ummah will enter paradise except for the one who refuses. And so the sahaba, they were Amazed, who will refuse Jannah? 
They said, Ya Rasulullah, Man Ya'ba, O Messenger of Allah, who will refuse Jannah? Who's going to refuse paradise? And so he said, Man Ata'ani Dakhla Jannah, whoever obeys me, he enters Jannah. And whoever disobeys me, then he is refused. He is refused to enter Jannah. Himself, he is refused to enter Jannah. Why? By refusing to obey the Messenger. Whoever disobeys me, then he has refused. Meaning, refused to enter Jannah. The second matter, Athaniya, Anna Allah la yarda, an yushrika ma'ahu ahadun fi ibadatih. It's the second matter that we must know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased. He's not pleased that anyone is made a partner with him in his worship. Neither an angel, an angel that is close to Allah, nor a prophet that was sent. And the proof that he brings, The masajid, the places of worship are for Allah alone. So don't invoke, make dua to others besides Allah. Don't, don't give your worship to others besides Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's mentioned, he mentioned to us that he did not create us in vain and in falsehood but he created us for a wisdom and purpose and that is to worship him alone and so whoever goes against his purpose and contradicts it by worshiping others besides him and Allah is not pleased with that and it doesn't matter if this worship is given to the best of angels Jibreel or the best of the prophets and the messengers rather the best of mankind the best of creation Muhammad it doesn't matter that the worship is to be given to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased that partners are set up with him. Allah does not forgive that partners are set up with him. Allah does not forgive that. It's the only sin he doesn't forgive if a person dies without repenting. If a person dies upon shirk and never repented from that then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not forgive him. The third matter that the Imam he mentions that whoever obeys the Messenger and singles out Allah alone with his worship, that it's not permissible for him to have friendship and alliance with those who oppose Allah and his Messenger. It's not permissible for him to have friendship with them. And to take them as allies, those who oppose Allah and His Messenger. The proof for this is the saying of Allah: "La tajid qawman yu'minuna billahi wal yawm al-akhir yuwadduna man hada Allah wa Rasulah." That you won't find a people, you will not find a people who believe in Allah on the last day, loving those who oppose Allah and His Messenger. Walau kanu abaahum, aw abnaahum, aw ikhwanuhum, aw ashiratuhum. Even if they are their fathers, their own sons, their brothers, or their kinsfolk. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
Allah has written and decreed for them in their hearts true iman, true belief. And He has strengthened them with proof, light and guidance from Him. And He will enter them into gardens of paradise beneath whose trees rivers flow. And they will dwell therein forever. Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Him. They are the party of Allah, Ulaika Hizballah. They are the Hizb of Allah, the party of Allah. And indeed, the party of Allah, they are the successful. This is concerning the matter of love and hate for the sake of Allah. Very important matter, Ayyul Ikhwa. Love and hate for the sake of Allah. There are actions that are pleasing to Allah and actions that He loves. And then there are actions that Allah dislikes and hates. And so for example, Allah loves that He is worshipped alone. He loves that His messenger is followed. He loves that a person performs those good deeds, those deeds that are pleasing to Him. He loves that a person prays that he fasts, and that he gives in charity, that he's good to his parents, and that he's good to his neighbors. These are all actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with. And he is pleased with those who perform these actions. But there are those actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is displeased with, and he dislikes. And so a person who commits shirk with Allah, Allah is displeased with this. He's displeased with the action, and he's displeased with the person. But that a person commits murder, that he steals, that he fornicates, that he commits adultery, that he is treacherous in his dealings, that he lies, that he's bad to his neighbors, that he is disobedient to his parents. All of these actions are actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he hates and he dislikes. And so because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he dislikes these actions, we likewise dislike them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He dislikes the people who perform these actions. And so we likewise dislike these people. However, it's very important for us to explain this in a bit more detail. An example in everyday life is the murderer. The murderer, the one who kills someone. The majority of people are law-abiding citizens, law-abiding people. And we hate someone who commits this this action, this action of murder. And likewise, we hate the one who, who performs this action. And even people in this society, that they hate this action and they, they, they look down upon and they hate the one and dislike the one who performs this action. However, it's very important for us to, to mention here that there's some guidelines here. That it's very easy for, for someone to say that, that well, your religion Islam, it teaches intolerance, that you dislike others, or that we incite violence and hatred, or that we can't live alongside other people, people of other religions. Something nowadays that you say the wrong thing, it's possible you get labeled as, as, as a terrorist. 
or someone who incites terrorism or hatred. So it's very important that we explain this. That when we say we dislike and we have hatred and dislike for those who oppose Allah and His Messenger, then like the murderer, as we mentioned the example, the murderer or the one who steals, the robber, the one who, who robs and steals, that we dislike the action and we dislike the person. But likewise, the one who commits shirk, the one who commits shirk, the one who ascribes partners to Allah, it's a sin and we, we dislike it and we dislike the one who does this. However, that does not prevent us from being just with them and living with them. And it, that does not mean that we incite hatred or violence or that we teach intolerance. But rather, we teach our community and our children and we say that we are Muslim, that we believe in Allah, we worship Allah alone. We don't worship others besides Allah. Allah does not like that others are worshipped besides Him. However, that doesn't mean that we promote the other religions. So for example, we say to the Christian, we say with the best of manners, we say that you worship in Jesus, leave this. Allah is not one of three. We don't agree with you on this. It's not correct. Leave this and worship Allah alone. Why don't you worship Allah alone? Allah is not three. And we, we use the best of, of, of mannerisms. However, if he doesn't accept, if he doesn't accept, we don't force him to become Muslim. There's no compulsion in religion. We don't force anyone to become Muslim. The right path has been made clear from the wrong path. We don't compel them. We don't force them. However, if he doesn't accept Christian, if you give him da'wah, he doesn't accept, then we continue to live with them. Be kindness. Be just with them. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions in the Quran, لا يجرمنكم شنعان قوم على لا تعدلوا اعدلوه أقرب للتقوى Don't let the hatred that you have for a people so that hatred that we have that hatred of shirk that hatred of kufr disbelief and, and making partners with Allah Don't let that hatred that you have for them for that action and that hatred that you may have for them performing these actions Don't let that prevent you or don't let that make you avoid justice be just. Be just. For indeed, that is more closer to piety, to taqwa. Likewise, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions, Allah has not forbidden you. Allah has not made it haram. Allah has not forbidden you from being kind and just with those who don't fight you because of your religion and those who don't expel you out of your homes due to your religion. And tabarruhum, that you be just with them. Allah has not made this haram, but rather that is closer to taqwa. Be just and be kind towards them. 
إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُقْسِطِينَ Indeed, Allah loves those who are just. And so we say, we say to our, our children and to our communities that Islam is the true religion. Islam is the true religion. It calls to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. However, we tell our, our children and we tell our community that there are other religions out there. There are, there are Jews, there are Christians, those who don't follow Islam. They believe in other than Islam. However, we live along with them. We're kind to them. And we are just with them. But that doesn't mean that we promote other religions. That we say that Christianity is the truth. That Judaism is the truth. Or being an atheist. It's correct. But rather we have hatred for these things. We have hatred but without inciting hatred that leads to being unjust. That leads to violence. And that leads to being treacherous with them. Rather, it's, it, there's no contradiction. You can hate a sin. You can hate the one who performs that sin. But you can still be just. That doesn't mean there's contradiction. We hate these sins. And we hate the people and we dislike the people who carry, carry out these sins. But that doesn't mean, that, that doesn't necessitate and automatically now that we're going to be violent towards them. But rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to us verses in the Quran that explain to us in detail that we are still to be just with them. So we tell our children and our families and our community that there are other religions out there and we live along with them. And we be just and kind so long as they don't expel us out of our homes and so long as they don't fight us. However, we don't say it's the truth. We don't say Christianity is the truth. Judaism is the truth. Being an atheist and atheism is the true way. Rather, we say they're wrong. We say they're wrong. Just like the Christian and the Jew and the atheist don't say that Islam is the truth. The Christian doesn't say Islam is the truth. Doesn't promote Islam. The Jew doesn't. Likewise, the atheist doesn't. So likewise, we as Muslims, we don't promote the other religions. We don't say, yes, be a Jew or be a Christian. Be atheists. We say no. These ways are ways of destruction. They are not correct religions. Judaism and Christianity. Rather, the truth is with the Muslims. And the Imam, he, to, just to finish, the Imam, he mentions the last paragraph before he goes on to mention the three questions which we'll study in next week he mentions no may Allah guide you may Allah guide you to his obedience know that Hanafiya Hanafiya is the religion of, of Ibrahim that is the religion of Ibrahim Hanafiya as the scholars they mention means the one who turns away from shirk and turns to tawheed. He turns away from the worship of others besides Allah and he turns to tawheed. And ta'bud Allah wahdahu mukhlisan lahuddin. That you worship Allah alone making the religion purely for him. وَبِذَلِكَ أَمَلَ اللَّهُ جَمِيعَ النَّاسِ وَخَلَقَهُمْ لَهَا That is what Allah SWT 
ordered the whole of mankind with this religion to worship Allah alone and he created them for that just as he said in his saying I did not create the jinn no mankind except to worship me alone that's the proof for that then he mentions and the meaning of يعبدون, that they worship me alone that they single me out alone with all actions of worship Shaykh al he mentioned that the meaning of to worship me or to single me out alone with all worship and the meaning is not that they single me out alone with al-khalq that they say that Allah alone is the creator as many people they explain hatta even the shahada if you ask them the meaning what's the, what's the meaning of la ilaha illallah they will say that there's no creator no god and they mean creator except for Allah and this is not the meaning but rather the meaning is that we are to worship Allah alone with all worship and we are to direct, direct all worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone there's no one there is no one in reality there is no one who rejects the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is their creator even the atheists can, can deny it all day long but inside Allah has created him with that fitrah and that's why even in their most difficult moment they will say my God something naturally comes out my God oh God they'll say it naturally it's within them even Iblis Shaitan he himself he believes in Allah Iblis many places where he, in the Quran where Allah mentions that he will say Rabbah Rabbi Rabbi bima agwaitani Oh my Lord, Rabbi, he, he called unto Allah saying, Rabbi, he didn't, he didn't believe that there was another creator besides Allah. He believes that his Lord is Allah. Rabbi, my Lord, by that which you have misguided me with. Likewise, where he said, You created me. You created me from fire, and you created him, meaning Adam, from, from tin, from mud. So he himself, he acknowledges that Allah is his creator, but that's not, uh, not, not sufficient. Rather, a person needs to direct his worship, all of his worship to Allah alone. وَأَعْلَمُ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ And the greatest thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered with is التوحيد. وَهُوَ إِفْرَادُ اللَّهِ بِالْعِبَادَةِ And that is to single out Allah alone with worship, التوحيد. To single out Allah alone with worship. That's the greatest thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he commanded with. If you look in the Quran from the beginning to the end, the greatest thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls to, as the ulama mentioned, the greatest thing that, he, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls to, and the main thing that Allah calls to in the Quran is to worship Him alone. You won't find any, any other thing that has so, such importance and Allah calling to so much than the tawheed of Allah, to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. الشرك, and the greatest thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned against and prohibited is ashirk, is to commit shirk with Allah, to give worship to others besides Allah. And that is to make dua to others besides Allah, 
and to give worship to others besides Allah. What dalil qawluhu ta'ala and the proof is the saying of Allah the Most High. Wa'abadullaha wa la tushriku bihi shay'a. Worship Allah alone and do not commit shirk with him. Do not ascribe partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَإِذَا قِيلَ لَكَ مَا الْأُسُولُ الثَّلَاثَ أَلَّتِي يَجِبُ عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ مَعْرِفَتُهَا And so if he said to you, what are the three matters that are obligatory upon you or obligatory upon a person that he knows them? فَقُلْ Then say, مَعْرِفَةُ الْعَبْدِ رَبَّهُ Then say that that is the knowledge of the slave having knowledge of his Lord. That a person, likewise, was obligatory upon him that he has knowledge of the religion of Allah. And likewise, his prophet Muhammad Now the Imam, he begins with explaining the three matters, the three questions that we will be asked in the grave. And we'll continue with that bi'idnillah. Uh, next week, I think you have some questions on, on your paper very quickly. Which surah is the proof for the first four matters? Surah Al-Asr, very easy. Too easy, I believe. Uh, what's the correct order? Number two, what's the correct order? Speech and action and then knowledge. Action and knowledge and then speech. Knowledge and then speech and action. See? Good. Number three, when a person is in the grave, the angels will ask him or her about his or her aqeedah. How do we know that? The three questions, which are Arabuk, Nabiyuk, Madinuk. Good, so those three questions are questions relating to one's aqeedah, one's belief. The slave will not leave the standing by his Lord until he, she, is asked about his or her actions. What about aqeedah? Is he not going to be asked about his aqeedah? That's, that's in the grave, so that comes before. So the aqeedah is first and then the actions. The greatest thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered his servants with is to worship him alone at tawheed. And the greatest thing that he warned against is shirk. Uh, that's the end, but I believe there's some brothers who uh, wanted to uh, wanted to memorize the text of this of this book. So if there are any brothers who have memorized, then uh, we can listen. Inshallah Ta'ala. Something that every single one of us really, to be honest with you, uh, should try and learn if able. Try memorize very short treaties. It's possible for us to learn, inshallah. Any, anyone uh, man enough? Wait, no, Jamal. Memorize it? Huh? You take it up? Huh? Are they? But so that's the end of the uh, end of the class. Um, whoever wants to read, if they feel like they've memorized it, after a few minutes, inshallah, we can uh, we can do that. You don't have to do it on a microphone. Don't worry. 
If there's someone on the sister's side who can maybe test the sisters, that'll be good.